If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in one of those chairs. We are concluding our three-week series called Befriend. As we look at the friend of Jesus, that is John. He actually called himself the one that Jesus loved. And we're going to see what he continues to say to us. I use the word continues because John can be a tad bit repetitive. He says a lot over and over. There are times for me remember something, whether it's a story that I'm going to tell or something that I need to let someone know or a conversation that I need to have with a friend or family where I will be in the car practicing that. And I don't just say it uh, in my head, I say it out loud. So if you're ever driving down Oyster Creek and you see this sweet, sweet 2008 Honda rolling beside you and you see me talking to myself, you've got really one of two options. I'm either on the phone, but more than likely I'm talking to myself. Talking to myself, saying the same thing over and over for the purpose of remembering When we get to 1 John, we realize that John wants us to remember certain things. When we're in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, we know the story. We we see in John as well that God has called us to love one another. They'll know that you're my disciples when you love one another. And in 1 John 4, we have this story of what God has done for us and what he's called us to do as his people. And I don't want us to miss this repetitive idea of what the love of God is and how the love of God functions. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4 over us today and then we'll work through the text together where it says... Dear brothers, dear friends, do do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it's already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us, and anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Dear friends, let us love one another. Because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only one and only Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if we love, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and to believe that love... 
the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or his sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We love everything. We talk about it all of the time. As I told my friends at chapel at BCS this week, we love our mothers. We love our dogs. We love burritos. We love olives. We love every single thing. We use the same word to talk about how we care about our mother that we do to talk about things that we cover in sour cream and guacamole. It's a very unique term that we choose when we use the word love. We love to talk about love. We love to consider love. What is real love and how do we understand it and how do we demonstrate it? If we look at this text, we see that Jesus is giving us general direction through the writer John. John, the disciple who Jesus loved, who understood love and gives us a recurring idea as to what love is and how love should function. He shows us this, if you're a note taker. A love of God is seen as concrete and real when we love believers. It's very clear in the text, loving your brother and sister. And, and also, when we love those who we want to become believers. And that should be, for those who are part of the family of faith, everyone. We should desire, for those who are outside of the Christian faith, to be part of the Christian faith. Not in the sense that we would go take over or commandeer or serve as imperialists. We should be people who live in a way that calls people to know God through the power of his love. Uh, Augustine uh, says this. He says, love all men, even your enemies. Love them, not because they are your brothers, but that they may become your brothers. We want people to know who Jesus is. We want people to understand who Jesus is and to understand the depth of the love that John happens to be communicating to us from this very text. Let's go to verse 1, though, just so we understand what he's working toward as you work through 1 John chapter 4. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in 1 through 12, but we may dip our toe in honor of baptism toward the end of the chapter. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit so that if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test and see, evaluate, examine, hear what people happen to be saying and why they happen to be saying that. Well, why? Paul Carter, who is a pastor in Canada, eh, says this, spiritual experience is no proof of gospel reality. One more time, spiritual experience is no proof of gospel reality. The good news reality of Jesus is not necessarily something that's conveyed simply because we've had and experienced. You know this. If you've ever listened to a celebrity regarding their spiritual situation, here are some of the things that you're going to get. You'll get, well, I don't know who God is, and I don't really know which religion is right, and I don't know which religious teacher is right, and I don't know what sacred book I should read or believe, and I don't know what's right, and I don't know what's wrong, but I consider myself to be a very spiritual person. Or, 
You know, I, I love the idea of Jesus because I like that Jesus loved people and he was a really good example. But man, the expectations of the Bible that he gave us, those are a little bit over the top. The weird thing is, it's not just famous people, it's us. And it's not just us in general, it can be us specifically. We can be people who aren't really concerned about the object of our faith, who is Jesus. We are concerned more with the sincerity of someone's faith, that we're making a good effort. They're doing a good job. They're, they're working their way toward heaven. It, it kind of is a tad bit confusing when we believe that Christianity is a ladder that we ascend rather than one that God descended to come to us. We've stepped, and when we do that, we've stepped away from the God of the Bible who's made himself known to us in Jesus. And the, this passage is showing us the idea of testing and seeing and what this love actually is. Verse 2, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not, does not confess Jesus is not from God. John's pretty clear there. The idea of confession. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. To break it down, Antichrist means anti or against Christ. Let's keep moving. Which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. There is a spirit live and present that is against Jesus. We're not going to dip into the book of Revelation this morning, but just know there are those who are anti the message of Jesus present. And there may be times for us if we are not watching our words and considering our tone and evaluating our heart's motive that we may be functioning in a way that is against the message of Jesus. The word for, the conf for confession in the New Testament is great because it means to declare bluntly. To declare bluntly. Let me ask, how are you bluntly declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord? So we live in the South, and the idea of declaring bluntly can be a tad bit confusing at times. And it's a little less complex than we've made it. There's the expectation for some of us that every time we go somewhere, we should have a Christian experience because we live in the great nation of Texas. That you go to Starbucks, and the barista is supposed to give you a Christ-centered caffeination experience. That you should be happy because of that. And if they do not, you are going to respond in certain ways. Maybe a tone that you'll yell at them. I can't believe that you did not give me a red cup. Maybe you'll show them a track or you'll go back with a track. You definitely won't tip. We know this. We wrestle with this. The idea of declaring bluntly. And we think that if we're not bold and aggressive, does that mean that we don't love God? If I'm not assertive with this person who has mocked God by the way they did not mention God, when they handed me my coffee, am I, am I really being a good Christian? Does that mean that you don't love God? You may want to push back. Chad, I know the Bible pretty well. You're talking about this love stuff. And I get that John talks about love a lot. But Paul, he's the one who brings the hammer. And you've got to balance those two things out, the idea of John and his love and Paul and his doctrine. So let's talk about Paul for just a second, because I like Paul too. I'm very pro-Paul. The only problem with that idea is Paul. John talks about love a lot, but Paul... He gives us a whole chapter about love. Here's what he says about love. Maybe you can look at it on the screen. You don't have to turn to your page. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy. It's, love, it's not boastful. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy. 
in unrighteousness, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. According to First Corinthians 13, Paul's really big on love. Colin Smith, pastor, says this. He does a great job of walking through 1 Corinthians 13 and talking about how, how to get that into our lives. And he evaluates every one of these principles. And as I spent time with him, I've noticed, not, not in person because he's just on the internet like there for me to see on the World Wide Web. He doesn't call or text. <laughs> Love is patient. What does that mean to be patient? It means that you actually care. Actually caring means that you're slow to depart when someone wrongs you in your best understanding of wrong. Love does not boast, and love, it's not proud. The word there for boast is windbag. Love is not a windbag. Love is not full of hot air. Love does not have to get its own way. Love is not rude. Love is courteous and love is kind. Love may think about tipping. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love, love it's not looking for a fight. Love's probably not quarrelsome. Love rejoices. And love always thinks the best, even when things are presenting as the worst. We declare bluntly that Jesus is Lord. My friends today have declared bluntly that Jesus is Lord. Writing out a story? They didn't make me do that. I just had to put on a white robe. Declaring that Jesus is Lord. That They did this with their words. They did this in this symbol. We're called to do that with our actions. This is not either or, it's both and. Lockstep with one another. D.L. Moody says, If we have got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we will show it in our lives. We will not have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything we say and in everything we do. Not either or, both and. Now, your experience may be different than me, but here are some things that I've never heard because I know well, we've got to declare and we've got to say loud things and we've got to talk loudly about our Christianity. Here are some things I've never heard. I, I, and I think we should talk loudly about our faith, but I've never had someone tell me after their conversion, you know, when I started talking with Blank, I was just amazed at how he did not let me get a word in edgewise. He was just so smart. I was wooed by his smartness. I've never heard someone say, you don't know how the Lord used the time I sat in silence as she lovingly berated me. I've never had anyone tell me, God really used that person's knowledge of a YouTube apologetic rabbit trail to convince me of how good and loving he actually is. God does not use our condescending tone to express his descending love. You're from God, little children, and you've conquered them. You don't have to prove that you're Christian. The proof of your Christianity is that Jesus has died in your place, and you've trusted that. 
you don't become more Christian. You become more like Jesus. You're, you're from God, little children. You've conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. And John's really clear here. There are some who do not trust Jesus and there are some who do. I'm very much on the side of you being someone who does. Therefore, what, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. So, I mean, I've get, I get it. We've got the people that we follow and the people that we love to listen to and the, and the voices that are just pouring into our heads all of the time. The work of the Spirit calls someone to Jesus. This is how we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of deception. So in John's world, he's dealing with some among him who were considered super-Christians. They believed themselves to be super-Christians. And sadly for me, much of my years ago, uh, as a Christian, I believed really the notion that these super-Christians weren't me. That the negativity that comes with that was not something that I was part of. You, if you know anything about superheroes, you know that I know a lot about superheroes. They have powers and they have secret identities and they try to hide their secret powers even though they can take over the world with those secret powers. And John said, this group of super-Christians, here were the things they were teaching. They were teaching that the way to be super-Christians was to be introduced to a secret knowledge which could be taught only by their super-teachers. Only by these super-Christians. That if you were introduced to this secret knowledge, you could live at a higher plane than everyone else. The teaching that Jesus only appeared to be human, but he wasn't really, even though 2 Corinthians is pretty clear about that. The Bible doesn't have a secret truth. It has a revealed mystery, and that's Jesus. And this revealed mystery of Jesus is our hope. And then you go from this point in the text where John's breaking down some doctrinal ideas to a song. It's really more song than sermon or seminary. It's something else. He begins to tell us what is useful for us as we enter into conversations about the faith that we have in Jesus, this great Christian faith that unites brothers and sisters from throughout the world and through space and time. What is the He's given us the word, but as we use the word, he's called us to see this, that love... That's what declares things. The love of God declared through people who know His Word. Yes, love Jesus through His Word, by the power of His Word. But we love. If we are void of love and we have every right answer, that's bad. You don't need a pastor to know that. I am blessed to raise a 14-year-old boy. And yesterday, there was a situation in my house where the flower beds needed dirt and mulch and I was double blessed to have a 14 year old boy and there was a bag that he needed to open and I just thought well, he would rip it apart because he's a 14 year old boy Shepard pulled out a knife from an 80's action movie to open this bag he could have killed Predator and Thanos Jaws could have gutted him right there was it overkill? it's what he had Love is what God has given to us. We express it 
by love for his word. We express by loving one another. Dear friends, let us love one another. Love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. What does it mean? Because that can get super Instagram video-ish if we're not careful. What does it mean that the Bible tells me that God is love? One pastor puts it this way, or expressed it in various versions of what I'm about to share with you. God is the absolute demonstration of life and truth and beauty and goodness and all perfections. God is not only self-sufficient, but he's also in his very nature abounding, overflowing with love. NIV reads in 1 John 3, he is going to lavish the love, this overflowing, abundant love. God is absolute perfect and he's so complete, he's so full, he is so inexhaustibly resourceful, so joyful that he is by nature a giver, a worker for others, that God is a helper and that God is a protector. God abundantly overflows in his care for his people and he does not complain about it. No matter how bad you happen to be and how disgruntled you happen to be, God has never complained about loving you. Love, is, it's, it's our badge. If they're going to know us and understand who God is, lead with this. Let them see this. If you've ever walked through Walmart and you were aimlessly looking for an employee, you know that you're looking for someone in a blue vest. If you're in Target and you wear a red shirt, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're in Home Depot, you're looking for an orange vest. You're looking for something that lines them up with who that company happens to be in this text. If we look at the love of God, this displays to people who are far from God that we have an affection for them. Does that mean that we affirm sin? Absolutely not. But we would say that we, have, we know a God who loves sinners. God's love, verse 9, was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son. So if you want to know love, sacrifice. If you want to understand love, sacrifice. If you want to see a picture of love, sacrifice. God sent his son and his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, not that we figured it out, not that we had all the right answers, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word atone is really helpful for us because it divided at one. The death of Jesus makes it possible so that you and I might be at one with God. And even in a room like this, I know some of us on a, in a, on a Texas Sunday morning have snuck into this place. We've never placed our faith in Jesus. Your goodness and your presence in this room, that doesn't save you. Jesus does. If God loved us like that, verse 11, in this sacrificial way, we must love one another. So revisiting what Piper said to us a few moments ago, if God is the absolute demonstration of overflowing, helpful love, when he calls us to be loving, it means that we too in our fallen, sinful nature are to seek to love in overflowing, helpful ways. Do you do that? Do I do that? I hope so. We cannot demonstrate 
any fruit of the Spirit if we're living in isolation from other people. Loving in the way that God has called us to love and being the people who God would have us to be, that is put on display in the context of a community. We demonstrate God-honoring love when we love those that have given us a good reason not to love them. Because more than likely, you've got people in your life that you just aren't really into loving. Maybe that's just me. Francis Schaeffer says this, it's in the midst of difference that we have our golden opportunity. When everything is going well, and we are all standing around in a nice little circle, baptism Sunday, there is not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is a real difference, and we exhibit uncompromised principles, but at the same time observable love, then there is something that the world can see, something that they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus really was sent by the Father. We are loved by God who actively cares for us when we have given him any, given him exhaustive list of reasons not to. Twelve, no one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is referring to the full scope of the grandeur of God's love. In Jesus, we see God in the flesh with limitations that he is self-implemented, yet Jesus is who God is. It's how we remain in him. He gives us his spirit. We look at a text like this and we consider our own love and the call that God has placed upon us to love and what it means for us to be the people of God in a world where God may not necessarily be that big of a deal. So I would ask us to evaluate our own hearts and our own posture and our own direction and the way that we are treating others. I ask myself to examine the way that I'm treating others. I ask you to do the same of yourself. Look at your life and your work and your house and ask these questions honestly based on what Paul said to us earlier from 1 Corinthians. Who really needs me to be patient with him or her? If they are a believer, am I loving this person as a believer? If they are not, am I loving them in a way that would call them to something that I believe to be true and real? When you look at your own life, because we believe that love is generous and giving, are we that with our stuff, whatever our stuff happens to be? Our time, our energy? Who in your life needs someone to listen to them and are you the person who is choosing to listen because of the love that Christ has called you to are you willing to give it in what ways are you and I choosing to be courteous in a world that is not always that now when you struggle there are questions for you to think about as well maybe these are just some questions to invade your own life when you are mean-spirited, have you stopped to ask yourself, why is my temper flaring here? Why is my mouth still running? Why am I feeling so sorry for myself? Am I finding pleasure in someone else's pain? Here's another question just to look at and just to evaluate you aligning with God's, the love of God 
as you interact with others. Have you rejoiced with someone else's success recently? When they got the raise that you didn't get, when they got the promotion that you didn't get, when they got the attention that you didn't get, because not all of us are driven by raises and promotions. Why does God want us to know so much about this love that he has and how he expresses it? Timothy says it this way. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. As the Bible teaches us about God's love for us and for others, it should be expressed as we interact with those who are far from him. And that means that we're going to interact with people who drive us crazy sometimes. Are we posturing ourselves in the way that God would have us to? In this sacrificial, descending way where we are elevating the message of Jesus above our own. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this chance that we've had to jump in your word and see what it says to us. Lord, I thank you for these friends who are here. Lord, I thank you that we got to celebrate baptism today. Lord, I pray for those who are far from you in here, who've never trusted in you, or that you would use the bold declarations of Gray and Asa and Stefan today. Lord, I pray that you would use the lives of this faith family today. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and how you've done it. Lord, we thank you for your, your, your work on our behalf on the cross. I pray that you would give us ears to listen. Give us patience when we don't have any. We ask this in your name, Jesus. I'll be in the, my back right-hand corner, your left hand of the room if you need me.